This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. In the weeks following Mother's Day, Johnny and I caught ourselves talking a lot about the importance of parenthood. It's a part of life we pretty much all experience as a child, as a parent, or as both. And although we talk a little bit about parenting on this show, this month we decided to focus a little more on parenthood because many of you are either already parents or hopefully will someday become parents. So we've put together two episodes honoring parents, starting with this one right here. Mother's Day is observed in May in many countries. And today we're going to talk about motherhood with an expert in the field, Dr. Alexandra Sachs. She is a reproductive psychiatrist at Columbia University Medical Center and host of a new podcast called Motherhood Sessions. And she is a leading expert in what we're going to be talking with her about today. Which is matrescence, the transition a woman goes through when she becomes a mother. Yes, you might be thinking, AJ, we call that pregnancy. But matrescence is more than that. And to help us understand this, Dr. Sachs uses adolescence as an analogy. For starters, they're pronounced the same, but just as teenagers go through hormonal change and a reshaping of identity, matrescence operates in a similar fashion. And Dr. Sachs roughly defines matrescence as something that starts at the beginning of pregnancy, ending at some point in the early stages of taking care of her baby. But she also makes the argument that matrescence is broader than just the changes that a mother experiences. Again, like adolescence, this phase impacts an entire household as a father, partner, sister, brother, being prepared and knowing the challenges and rewards that come with this phase is important. So important that Dr. Sachs has dedicated her work to the idea and wrote a compelling article in the New York Times about bringing matrescence into mainstream conversation. Which sparked our interest in this discussion. So we called her up and asked her to tell us why redefining motherhood is important for all of us to consider. We've done a great job in terms of expanding uh, awareness about postpartum depression. Um, and though, of course, we still need more research and advocacy and treatment options in, in that area as well. This area is about the transformation and transition. It's not about mental illness. It's just about stress and adjustment, which we all experience. And that's a totally separate thing from postpartum depression. So, um, you know, the st studying hu human beings and how they work um, and their psychology has been around forever. I think a woman's story specifically um, has been overlooked in some different ways around hormones, around identity. And um, it's a field of study that kind of just fits in with a lot of things that we need to look more closely at. Um, but it's it's no more revolutionary than looking at how the life changes um, and a woman's body and life story impact her, how she feels. Um, but I think in, in psychiatry, there kind of two things have happened. One, we look more at illness than we do at wellness. Um, and so we spend, you know, we get drug companies fund studies on how to treat depression, how to make a new drug for that, which is different than getting a study. You know, how does the mind work <laughs> when, when you're pregnant and when you're recovering from having a baby, you know, that, that state of wellness, that state of transition, um, we, we serve less in medicine because we're more disease focused. Um, so I'm really excited to, to be more a part of these preventative conversations and wellness oriented conversations and 
just normalizing that stress is absolutely a part of the transition to parenthood. There's physical stress, there's emotional stress. Change is hard. And there's probably no greater transformation that a person may go through in their life than the change that happens around becoming a parent. So... I think this is great. And when I was watching the TED Talk video, you know, as a, a, a man, you know, I think it's easy for us to look at pregnancy as we certainly know that there's changes going on. We certainly know that there's a lot of chemistry right. in the brain going on. And we, but we just see it as just pure chaos. And it's really nice to see that this is now being studied and it's, and it's getting some order so that you know, we can help. And my question is, is is this more where you were talking about that we're more disease focused? Is this more of a Western medicine uh, sort of thing or as, as, as well as Eastern medicine as well? I, I mean, I, I practice holistically, so I'm interested in ideas that come from both traditions. I think the disease focus model is why we haven't been talking about this enough. Um, so I think the tradition in Western medicine is sort of how we got here, which is really kind of like, why haven't we been talking about this more? Sure. Um, so I think we we need more um, holistic and um, different models of looking at the body and the mind. And, um, you know, even Western medicine can show data that taking health from a preventative approach, that's why looking at things like managing your weight is easier to do for health than treating diabetes, you know, not, not that, not that, not that weight, weight loss is easy, but, right. but it's, it's, it's better for the body to start before the disease process begins. And so every, everybody wins. Um, and the data shows that in, in, in Western, um, evidence-based models too. It's, it's just like, I think we, the, well, that's a whole other, that's a whole longer conversation about how our medical system could be improved. But, but yeah, one of those things is I think talking about how to prevent, um, stress and how to work with stress and understand it so that it doesn't get pushed down and kind of pushed into a depression process. And I think that a lot of what happens during the transition to motherhood is that because there hasn't been, like you said, sort of people organizing this um, for us in terms of the medical vocabulary, sure. I think there's a false understanding that it's black and white. It's you're either blissed out, you're either joyful, this is the best thing that ever happened to you, or you have postpartum depression. And the truth is most people fall in between. Um, and it's a transition and transformation. So I think the first thing is reducing shame and expanding education about the natural aspects of stress that people feel so that so that women and families don't have to kind of pretend everything's fine because the alternative is that something's really wrong. And naturally, <laughs> usually, yeah, naturally, usually everything's not fine. And that doesn't mean anything's wrong. It just means you're going through a transition. Most of our focus is going to be on the newborn as parents. Sure. And exactly. you know, we're so concerned about their development that we don't often take time to think about our own development. And unfortunately, exactly. we're in households now where both individuals are working and okay. one has to step aside to start the child rearing process in the beginning. And there's this pressure to get back to work. There's the stress that comes along with, well, what am I missing out in work? And am I going to be discriminated against when I come back? So I think right. there's a lot that goes on outside of just the hormonal changes that we're talking oh, about too, psychologically. 
100%. And I, I'm interested in and talk about all of that because it's sort of like there's the body, there's the mind, but we're human beings who also walk around in a social universe. Money impacts that. Time impacts that. I mean, even if you look at the social functions of time and money, they lead to sleep deprivation for people in the postpartum, uh, for moms and dads, and sleep deprivation changes the brain. So all of these things, like going back to work, it may sound like a non-biological thing, but it absolutely does impact your biology. Um, and I really think that we need mandated paid maternity and paternity leave in this country to improve that. In a lot of other um, systems, moms and dads are off um, so that there isn't like you're describing that pressure. Um, and I think that's that's really stressful for moms and dads when one person has to stay home and all of a sudden is alone and and then the other person is back at work. But, you know, whoever said that dads who go back to work first don't want more time to be home with their babies, right? Absolutely. And with this research, you know, is there a time frame that this developmental stage is going on? Obviously, we start during pregnancy, but how long is this development going on in women post-pregnancy? I mean, I think it's really different for everyone. And I'm really hoping that these conversations just kind of spark an opening for different women and different families to talk about how this works in their own lives. Like, for example, um, a woman I just spoke to for my podcast, um, her son is, I think, four years old, but she's really trying to wrap her head around having another child. And she really, our conversation really leads to her saying, you know, I actually don't want to be pregnant again. She had a rough round the first time around. She's just getting her body back to feeling comfortable. She's just reconnecting in her relationship and getting some of the romance back. And she actually is someone who just went back to school. So she's having a career change. And she's like, particularly stressed out right now because she is feeling upset about talking to her partner who wants a second baby about the fact that she really doesn't. And so she's in her own matrescence moment, just like imagining this second child and the conversations around that in terms of the identity of the family. So I think these things can be prompted, um, sure, by the but the physical experience of pregnancy and, and often in the first year because newborns need this around-the-clock care that I think factors in in a very different way in terms of sleep deprivation, in terms of the intensity of the time commitments. But I think you may find yourself with a four-year-old or a 14-year-old and be trying to figure out your identity as it relates to your parenting. Um, and I think that's a matrescent story. Um, so there, there, I'm more interested in it, like expanding the definition to prompt conversations in all these different stories, all these different people's lives rather than narrowing it. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. And when we think about this period, you know, you talked about postpartum depression being one of the buckets that unfortunately people either self-diagnose or get diagnosed in, you know, how does that differ from what we're talking about here? Yeah, sure. So postpartum depression, um, we're now actually calling it um, a wider term, speaking of, of, of widening the conversation, um, we're calling it perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, PMAD. Because um, in the postpartum, a lot of people are experiencing anxiety more than sadness. And so it's and and all sorts of other different types of things that um, may may not ring a bell when you're asking yourself, do I need help? And you're and you're saying, well, I don't feel depressed. So the perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, they're they're really similar to how we think about clinical depression and anxiety at other times in life, um, which is just that the, the experience starts interfering with your functioning. So I always talk about sleep because sleep deprivation is a very real thing. I think for all, for all parents of little babies, but if your baby's sleeping and you're lying in bed and you can't turn your thoughts off, you can't fall asleep because you're spinning with worries. That is more what postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety looks like. 
Whereas if you're exhausted and your brain can turn off and you can actually let yourself fall asleep, you might be stressed out because you're so sleep deprived, but your distress is not interfering with your ability to just do what you need to do for your body to feel well. So also eating, you know, when some people are so anxious or their mood is so low that they've lost their appetite, that's another symptom that you may be reaching the point of where it's really important to talk to a doctor because there's very helpful treatment. But basically when your function is really interfering um, because of of the symptoms you're experiencing, that's when we sort of see you cross that threshold. And of course, things like hopelessness, things like feeling like life isn't worth living, those are obviously really important indicators as well. But what I tell everyone is when in doubt, just ask your doctor. There's never a reason not to ask your doctor, you know, do, is this, is this what everybody goes through? Or do you think I actually need to do an evaluation? Worst thing that happens is they'll they'll say, no, this looks more like the transition. And I think you're going to start feeling better soon once you try this, this, and this. Um, but we're, you know, worst thing that happens is that you get an evaluation, um, and you're told you don't need a treatment, but we never want anybody to slip through the cracks. Absolutely. And with the widening of this, so to speak, net with now including anxiety, not just the classic depression symptoms, you know, what percentage of new mothers are going to go through this struggle? So for matrescence or for postpartum depression? For postpartum depression. You know, the, the there's a range, but I think the numbers are now between 10 and 15 percent. Yeah. Okay. So um, that that's a that's a lot of people if you think about how many people have babies. But Absolutely. I, I'm really my work right now is focusing on on the remaining 85, 90 percent, which is people dealing with this stress reaction, which is the matrescent story, the adjustment period. So I think. I think everybody falls under that umbrella um, in terms of thinking about how to gain support um, and reduce stress in the postpartum. Um, I, 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 that's, I think that the women who are suffering with postpartum mood and anxiety, that 10 and 15 percent, they benefit from that education, too. Well, obviously, you know, 10 to 15 percent is a a very large number. It's not a small percentage. Mm -hmm. And then when we think Mm -hmm. about the other new moms who are going through this period and feeling this guilt and shame, you know, what can we do to help support them as spouses, significant others? Yeah. So, you know, I think the first thing, and this is like any, any other thing to be supportive in a relationship, is kind of to be curious, to say what, how are you doing? What is this like for you? And how can I help? You know, I think a lot of partners jump in and when they, when they see their, their partner upset, they jump in with advice or, um, trying to come up with a solution. And I think that can sometimes make someone who's feeling stressed out, feel unheard. Right. I think, I don't know if you've, you've ever heard, but a lot of times people say like, will you just listen? You know? And I think what that means is, Um, I actually don't want you to come up with a solution. I want you to really just be here for me because being here for me is actually what helps. And, you know, sometimes like, let's say someone's struggling with breastfeeding. um, You could come up with a million suggestions, like let's call the lactation consultant. Let's, but really maybe a mom who's struggling with it knows that she's figuring it out, but she just kind of wants to talk about how hard it is. So I think, 
I think one of the biggest things is uh, just be curious. How are you doing? And ask very openly, what do you, what do you need? How can I, how can I be helpful? Because it's hard. I think people want to come up with solutions to make their partners feel better. Um, but sometimes ironically coming, trying to help can be more for you than for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, because you you want to you want to feel like you're 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 a great dad and you're like helping this situation. But sometimes these things are not there isn't like when a baby is struggling with a sleep transition, you know, that that's upsetting. It's upsetting to hear your child cry. And there may not be a fix. There may not be a fix that a dad can come up with. And so um, I think just like really good listening and genuinely asking um, and then learning, learning. you know, reading and being curious about the experience. I also think that in the postpartum, I mean, in pregnancy, I think going to the appointments is great because I think it's important for the partner to really experience this as their pregnancy too. Their child is growing. And so to go to the appointments and feel, start to feel super involved and invested and really ask your partner to include you in things so that you do feel involved and invested. I think That'll help you go through more of the burdens together um, if you start early by kind of experiencing things together, even if it's not your body. And, um, you know, I think that that'll then lead to more equal division of labor with things like sharing, you know, waking up at night and things like that. I think starting early with like this is happening to both of us and we're both caretakers um, is really helpful, is really helpful to split, to kind of do your best to, to figure out how to triage and um share share some of the some of that caretaking with the anxiety and the depression that comes uh, with this this newborn baby um certainly um I, I, it's easy for a mother to feel that she's on an island by herself and certainly if she if she doesn't have a partner at home to be able to discuss these things with right um, right that can be extremely difficult and i also know that you're your proponent of talk therapy. So when do you feel it is important for a mother to, to reach out if she's in, uh, have, having these issues? Listen, I think everybody has issues with the transition to motherhood. So I think everyone needs community around them. If you're a single mom, um, find other mom friends or just your other friends who have been the people you've gone to when you wanted to talk out something you're going through that's hard. Um, it doesn't have to be your partner. Um, so so to, to talk to talk to the people you trust about how you're feeling, um, part of what I'm in the work that I'm doing with putting education out there and having these therapeutic conversations like the ones on my podcast where I'm sitting down and having a conversation with a mom in a session for people to listen to is that I'm trying to normalize these conversations so that it doesn't have to be a big, like this big deal. I have to go to a doctor. Um, while I do think, you know, if you're, if you're at that point where you've sort of been evaluated and, and talk therapy where the professionals recommended great, but everybody benefits from having honest conversations about their struggles. And I'm trying to model that more for people to listen to so that they can feel less ashamed about sharing those stories with their friends and with other people, because you know what, you're going to hear, like, we went through something very similar, (laughs) or, you know, I, I, I can totally imagine feeling that way myself. I think, you know, the being honest and sharing vulnerability 
enhances friendships um, and enhances partnerships. But I think we need to really shift it from being this thing of as a sign of weakness if you're struggling. It's it's a sign of being human. Yeah, it needs to be normalized because it's a natural part of the process that unfortunately, because of the shame and guilt and the way that norms have been set culturally, that a mother is supposed to be blissful, a mother is supposed to be overjoyed with unconditional love, that a lot of these stress and anxiety that we're feeling that we're not handling in the workplace to begin with very well are now carrying over into motherhood and we don't always have the tools to handle it. Absolutely. And I don't even think, I mean, just going through how we could talk about um, women and pregnancy, but we could also talk about like our healthcare system and the preventative or Eastern Western model. Like, I don't think that this um, expanding our vulnerability and more models of talking that way is only helpful for moms. I think it's helpful for everyone. Cause just as you said, you know, how do we, how do we decompress from the stress we feel in our lives with work? Um, with sitting in front of a computer or being in a car with being so far from like the things that our bodies need in order to feel well, which is time outside and fresh air and away from devices. Like how do we all cope in our culture? Well, it's really through talking to others and connecting. So this is absolutely not just for moms. This is, I think more of a larger thing about reducing stigma around these conversations that share vulnerability and, you know, people like Brene Brown or crusaders in this, that vulnerability is sort of, what we need to destigmatize. It's, it's, it's really kind of the next direction for keeping, keeping our culture, you know, strong and, and healthy. Yeah. And improving mental health for sure. So in your article, you listed out some challenges to look out for that come with mothers entering this phase of their life. And we found these to be really helpful and we're going to cover two of them. The first one changing family dynamics. Oh yeah. Well, I think every, Every woman that I have a chance to sit down with and talk to, um, there's a story there about their own relationship to their own mother, you know, because you've been here before you were a child, but you had a mom and that mom may have never even physically been in your life, but you know what it means to be taken care of and to have that caretaking relationship. And so the word, the mother relationship, you know, can be loosely defined, but everyone's experience, care and nurturing as a child. And so we all have our own memories and our own expectations. And I think entering into the new role of motherhood, you're dealing with echoes from your past. I think everyone is because you've been there before when you were the one who who is receiving the care. Um, So I I think that's part of what's kind of um, beautiful and also overwhelming about this transition. Like, wait a minute, I someone else is supposed to be the mom. I'm the mom now. I, that's, that's, that doesn't make sense to me. I think that's a, that's a radical shift for people to go through and, you know, to deal with some stuff that may be lingering from their past. It might be the pressure that you put on yourself. Like I really want to do better than my mom, or, um, I have a different values from my mom. And it might be the pressure you put on yourself to kind of find a new way, but that way might have to be perfect in your eyes because you're you're changing the 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 history or it might be my mom was so good at this the pressure you put on yourself to be just as good as her but you know you're dealing with these echoes and and I think it's really about comparing yourself to this to this idealized mother this this mother and and I think that's often shaped that begins to be shaped when you're a child and you are kind of noticing like I want more of this and less of that so I think people bring that to, to their stories for sure. And when we talk about the ambivalence of push and pull, 
You obviously yeah. have on the one side a mom who wants the child close, obviously just giving birth to this newborn and, and that immense amount of joy and pride. And then on the other side, there is this old identity of having work, having hobbies, having free time to spend with relationships outside of the nuclear family. How do we deal yeah. with that? Yeah. I mean, and even aside from identity stuff, having to go to the bathroom, having to sleep, like you can't have your child close when you're sleeping. Right. I, I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to turn this into a co-sleeping conversation, but you know, when you're physically taking care of your own body, you're not taking care of another person. And so it just requires that push and pull of taking care of a baby and wanting to be with your baby, but also dealing with the guilt that I think comes up when you have to step back and take care of yourself. And I think, you know, just to tie this in back to our earlier conversation, you're lucky if one of the ways you can deal with that is by having your partner step in and help out so that you can take care of yourself so that you can get some exercise so that you can, you know, take care of your physical recovery and whatever you need to do in order to feel more connected with your body, you know, that you can get sleep, that you can, eat the food you need to eat in order to feel healthy. You know, I think people often don't, and this is maybe for another, another conversation, but I think people find it really difficult to talk about how sex life changes in new parenthood. But I think a big thing for women in terms of when they say they feel touched out and they're just not into it. I think a lot of that is because they first need time to just put their bodies back together for themselves and feel physically comfortable and to feel physically desirable. And so I think stepping in and helping out with the baby and giving mom time to just physically recover um, and sure other aspects of her identity too, is going to mean that she returns with more to give, more to give to her partner and more to give to the baby. I think we all know what it's like to be, you know, showing up at a meeting when you're hungry or showing up at a family event if you haven't slept, like you just don't have that much to give when your basic needs are not met. And so we need to help moms figure out how to get their needs met by really offering to, to take care of the baby so they can do that. Yes. Being supportive of that self-care is so huge. It's, it's huge. It's just it's just not optional. You know, I think people um, feel so guilty about it, but you just can't cut off your basic bodily needs and even your basic emotional needs. Once you have a baby, it's a, a, a good mom is not someone who stops taking care of herself. And I think that's what we really need to change is this model of the selfless, the selfless sort of martyr is we really need to get away from that. That's not good for women. That's not good for babies. And it's really also not good for partners. I think once someone turns into a mar martyr, they're not going to have very much bandwidth for, for romance and intimacy. No, it's so, not a healthy identity. No, it's not. And I think it's not good for kids either to feel like their mom has given up taking care of herself. It's not a good model for their own self-care, but it's also like, then how do they get any breathing room to develop their own identity? How do they not feel guilty when they're going off and doing things with their friends? Like no one benefits from mom cutting off her own self-care. Um, so I think really reducing guilt around that is the first thing we need to focus on. So for new parents or people who are planning on having children, what haven't we covered today that is so important for them to learn as they prepare this journey? You know, I think at the top of the list is self-care is not selfish and really reducing the the guilt around that. And the, the, after that is just 
you don't get to cut off your needs once you become a parent. So you have to really figure out together. I, I encourage couples to make a list um, during pregnancy. And, you know, for anybody listening who already is in new parenthood, don't panic. You can still make a list afterwards. But make a list of everything that you do in or did in your life before the baby that was just part of your basic routine to feel good. So, you know, did you take a shower every morning? Did you exercise? Do you, do you have a, a routine where you saw your friends in a certain way? Or is it as simple as like checking your email or um, watching a TV show once a week? You know, everything you did that was relaxing, that promoted wellness, write it down. Nothing is too small and nothing, nothing is too, you know, indulgent. If, if you're someone who felt good getting a weekly manicure, write that down on the list. And then I think another is for your relationship. Did you say at the end of the day, how was your day? <laughs> and, and reconnect that way. You know, how often did you reconnect with intimacy and romance and a date night and sex? You know, think about it and, and write it down. Try to take stock of how you worked before the baby came, because it's just so easy for all those things to fall away. And basically, depression is when we don't have access to our pleasure anymore. And if you stop doing the things that either sustain you or that give you pleasure that are fun, then you're you're gonna cut off your pleasure system and and that's when you start the world starts to feel black and white and no one needs to suffer that way no baby really needs you needs a parent who's cut off from their pleasure system so you have to try to then talk at, about the nuts and bolts of your time and your resources to figure out how can you balance childcare with these necessities to take care of yourself um, and if you have to just follow what, what you did before that worked and, and maybe it's a modification, you know, maybe it's, maybe everybody's too exhausted to say, how was your day at, at night? So it's, you know, some ritual in the morning over coffee, like what does your day look like, you know, but figuring out how to hold on to those things that make you feel like you as an individual and, and as a couple, that's that's how you're going to hold on to your identity and continue to hold on to what used to make you feel good as you transform and add all these new aspects of parenthood. Absolutely. Taking care of yourself and taking stock of self-care habits that you need to be building both before, during and, and after to, to stay healthy and be an amazing parent. Thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic advice. Where can our audience find your new show? Yeah. So please come find me at Motherhood Sessions. Uh, it's a podcast coming out from Gimlet Media. And every week I sit down and talk to another woman. I talk to couples too. There's um, Last week I talked to a mom and a dad about their motherhood parenting journey. Um, and, and we talk through a lot of the things we discussed in terms of their specific stories. So please come find me there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Creating rituals like the morning coffee routine Dr. Sachs mentions will help you hold on to the things that make you feel good. And being supportive as a partner is a big part of that. And you know what? Dr. Sachs also talks about this moment of transformation. And transformation is actually what we are tackling next month. It's our monthly theme to begin the summer months here at The Art of Charm. Now, we know Mother's Day has passed, but honoring parents is so important. It shouldn't be celebrated on just one day. And we knew bringing in an expert on motherhood would be important to all of our new mothers and soon to be new mothers, hopefully. So pick on the phone or drop by, spend some time with mom or dad or whoever that helped raise you. 
Exactly. This month and next month, we're honoring both parents, and it's a great way for you to reach out and reconnect. Now, speaking of love, could you do us a favor here at The Art of Charm and head on over to iTunes and rate this podcast? It really would mean the world to us. And hey, we'd love to hear from those of you out there who are parents or becoming parents. What are some of the challenges that you've tackled becoming a parent that you're really proud of? Share them with us by recording your voice or writing us. To do that, just go over to theartofcharm.com slash questions to write or record your voice or email us at questions at theartofcharm.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram at The Art of Charm, plus AJ and I are there as well. I'm AOC Johnny, and AJ is there as at AJ Harbinger. Before we take off, remember to listen out for the second special episode on parenting, and it will drop around Father's Day. That's next month for all of you who are keeping score. And Monday, we're going to air our monthly Q&A episode. It's a good one. Dating questions, as well as some advice on steamy intimacy with your lover. Until then, have a great weekend, and Johnny, let's roll the credits. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Chris Olin and Michael Harold. The show is recorded at Cast Media Studios in sunny downtown Hollywood and engineered by Danny Luber and Bradley Dunham. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a fantastic week. Oh. 